0: 89, we started Psalm 89 last week. We talked a little bit about the superscription, about the author that we see here at the beginning of the psalm, Ethan the Ezraite. We don't know much about him. We see that name on a couple of occasions in Scripture, but don't know a whole lot about him other than he wrote this psalm. We see in the beginning of the psalm, and through most of this psalm, it is really a psalm of praise. In uh, particularly, kind of the kind of the start of the psalm focuses on the Davidic covenant that God had made a covenant with David that through David was going to come a king who was going to sit on the throne forever. Of course, that covenant that God made with David is pointing us forward to. Jesus Christ. And, and the author of this psalm is praising God for the covenant that he made with David. And, and still today, we're praising God for the king that came through that covenant that God made with David, that is Jesus Christ. And so we see that in the first four verses. And the praise continues on through most of the psalm until we get close to the end. But tonight, uh, we'll pick up in verse 5. We'll start in verse 5. Before we do, we'll pray. Father God, we come to you. We thank you for your good word. I pray that there would be something that we would read in one of these verses tonight. Maybe it's a verse, maybe it's a word, whatever it may be, dear Lord. There's something perhaps that we need to hear, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to see your word and what it says, that we would get something from it tonight. Whatever that may be that we need, I pray that we would rejoice in you in the same way that the psalmist does here. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 89, verse 5, Lord, the heavens praise your wonders, your faithfulness also, in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can compare with the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? God is greatly feared in the counsel of the holy ones, more awe-inspiring than all. Awe- who surround him. And so here we see the psalmist offering praise to God. Who is greater than God? There's nobody. He's greater than all who is in the heavens. And it, and it says here that in the assembly of the holy ones, for who in the skies compared with the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings? Now there are a couple of ways I suppose that the, that the psalmist could mean this. I think probably the, the most likely way is he speaking of probably angelic beings that are in heaven with God. Even as great as the angelic beings are that God uses, that we see in Scripture, even those who are in the heavens with God are not as great as God. Even those who are with them, those who are, who are in His presence, they praise God in the mm-hmm. same way. There's this acknowledgment of the greatness and the power and the glory of God by those who are around God. Perhaps the psalmist here is is saying, look, if there are other people in the surrounding areas that believe in other gods, this God that I serve, Yahweh, the Lord God, is higher than all of the rest of the gods. Now, both of those things would be true. Certainly, uh, the angels praise God and and (coughs) glorify God, uh, and certainly there are no other gods but God. He is the greatest that there is. He is the creator of all things. He is worthy of praise. And that's what we see the idea here. Both the psalmist is praising God and acknowledging that all those who are in the presence of God are also praising God. Verse eight, Lord God of hosts, who is strong like you, Lord, your faithfulness surrounds you. Now here we see that uh, faithfulness mentioned. He praised him for his his faithfulness here in a few verses up where we just read. Here we see again that God is faithful. This is an important characteristic of God that we need to remember, that we need to know, that we need to be reminded of, that God is faithful, that God keeps his words, that God is faithful when we are not faithful. Now, we have people in this world that we love that are close to us, uh, and and sometimes those that we love and trust are, are unfaithful to us. Sometimes we are unfaithful to those that love and trust us. So in this world, we know what it means for someone to be unfaithful or even for ourselves to be unfaithful. But the psalmist here reminds us that God is faithful. He is trustworthy. He is true in all that he says and all that he does. And we need to remember that God is faithful and God said he is with us and he loves us. We need to remember that God is with us. When, when, When God says, hey, look, if you repent and come to me and seek me, your sins will be forgiven through Jesus Christ when you put your faith and trust in him. God is faithful to fulfill what he has said. And here the author of the Psalms acknowledges the faithfulness of God and perhaps we need to be reminded of that tonight. Also, we are reminded in this verse of the strength of God. Verse 9, you rule the raging sea. When its waves surge, you crush them. Now, this is certainly true in the physical sense. We see. Evidence of God having control over the sea and control over the water and the winds and the waves. We see it in the Old Testament when God parts the Red Sea. He's got strength and power over the sea. We see in the New Testament when when the storm is calmed by Jesus that, that God has the power to calm the raging seas, to calm the raging storms. And this is true in a physical sense. We see this quite physically in Scripture. But but also we can apply this uh, to our lives in the sense that, look, sometimes our life, we find ourselves in these storms of life. We find ourselves... In the raging storm, we find ourselves perhaps just just in a rage because of something that's going on, or something that's happening, or some fear, or just something in our life that that's kind of got a hold of us, or some temptation that we've given into, and and we see these situations where we're in a rage, or it feels like the world is raging around us, and we need to remember who can calm the rage. It is the Lord who is strong enough to do so. He is He is big enough and strong enough to calm all of the raging storms that surround you in your life today. And he's even strong enough to calm whatever rage may be inside of us on those days where there's something going on in our life. God has the power to deliver us from that and be there with us in the midst of those storms. That, that even in the midst of the storm, it's a, it's a beautiful thing in some sense for the Christian that there's great peace there in the strength of the Lord. That We kind of can sit right there in the middle of the storm, and we, and we see the storm around us sometimes as it rages on. We see the waters as they build up among us and around us, and, and yet there's some peace there because we say, okay, there's this storm going on in, in my life, but, but God is here with me in this storm. And sometimes God calms those storms when we pray to him, and sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he's just right there with us. He's, he says, nope, you've got to go through this one. We talked about that Sunday morning. We talked about that sometimes we have to go through the suffering, but God does never make us go through the suffering on our own. He never makes us go through the storm. When we call out to him, he will be there with us in those raging storms, the power of God is what the psalmist is acknowledging here. God is good, he is faithful, he is strong. And we see evidence of that repeatedly in scripture. And probably all of us could could give evidence of that in our own personal lives. Let's continue on in verse 10. You crushed Rahab like one who is slain. You scattered your enemies with your powerful arm. Now here we see again the strength of God, not only a strength to deliver his people and to be faithful to his people and to be strength for his people, but also the strength to crush the enemies who come against his people. Now, here it says you crushed Rahab. We saw a reference to Rahab in Psalm 87 as well. This is not to be confused by the person Rahab that we see when God's people go into the promised land and Rahab hides them so that they can be safe and, uh, and, and, and Rahab uh, is acknowledged. She's right there in the uh, genealogy of Jesus, even though she was a Gentile. That's not the same Rahab we're talking about here. Uh, I think even in the Hebrew, it's spelled a little different. But in our Bibles, it looks the same. But, but probably what this is referring to here is Egypt. Sometimes we see different countries in the Old Testament referred to by different names. So perhaps this is Egypt. Perhaps this is some other place, some other enemy of God. But perhaps it's speaking about God's deliverance of his people it talked about the sea before, and maybe it's it's referencing back when hey God's people passed through the sea and he used the sea with his power, it closed up over the Egyptians and freed his people, and perhaps that's the reference here when he says Rahab, but, but Rahab here is referencing some enemy of Israel, probably representative of a country or a place. Most would suggest Egypt. It doesn't matter. It, regardless the point is, is that whoever the enemies are against God, God is more powerful than those enemies that come against him and that come against his people. Uh, You scattered your enemies with your powerful arm. Verse 11, the heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and everything in it, you founded them. Everything belongs to the Lord. That's a That's a real simple thing that we know, like we get it with our mind, but perhaps we need to be reminded even of something that simple, that everything belongs to the world. God has created all things and even the things which we have, they belong to the Lord. There is nothing that we have obtained that is ours. What we have, God has blessed us with. It's not because of our greatness. It's not just because we work so hard and we're so deserving and we've we've accumulated things. What we have has been given to us by the Lord. And are we using the things that we have for the Lord's service because... At the end of the day, all things are the Lord's. From, from the biggest scale to God created the heavens and the earth and all things in them, I believe it's in, in some way important for us to remember that, that God has blessed us with the things that we have. They're, they're, they're not ours. They are the Lord's. Everything belongs to the Lord. And we need to remember that and how we live our life and how we use what God has blessed us with. Verse 12 <clears throat> North and South, you created them. Tabor and Herman shout for joy at your name. Now, uh, here we see kind of another another uh, similar thing to what we saw with Rahab. Sometimes we see these names, and they're representative of something else. Now, the first thing he says there is North and South. What he's doing here is he's is he's making an argument. He's establishing. All things belong to the Lord. He's created all things. Everything is his, from the north to the south to the east to the west. But he doesn't say east and west here. He says uh, 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 Tabor and Hermon here. Now, these were mountains, and and geographically, these mountains would have been, one would have been to the east, and one would have been to the west, probably, of this audience, Or, or these mountains would have been known to be east and west. And so, he uses the names of actual literal mountains that are there, uh, but, but what he's saying is, I believe, is east and west. You, you have everything. As far as the north is to the south, as far as the east is to the west. Well, how far is that? Well, that's infinite. It, it goes on forever. God, everything belongs to him. He has created and established all things, and they are all his. Verse 13. You have a mighty arm. Your hand is powerful. Your right hand is lifted high. Now, we see this type of language about God in scripture sometimes about arms and hands and the power and the strength of God, but when we think about strength in our in our world, there was a show I used to watch a while back. Some of y'all may have saw it. I don't even remember what it was called. It was these four dudes, and they were like super strong, and they went around the world, and they did all these like strongman challenges from the past and picking up these super heavy stones, and and when we think of strength, we understand that, that visual. You know, strength is in the arms, and you think about big muscles. And sometimes that type of language is used to describe God. But, but God is spirit, so what does God look like? Well, I don't know what God looks like. Uh, sometimes God takes the form in, in the flesh. We see that in the Old Testament. Uh, we see some examples where God comes down, and, and he appears to be in some type of, of human form. Nobody sees him as he is in his fullness but but they're able to see him in part but but probably when we when we think about God just just in general as a whole he's a spirit and so we may see verses like these and think well God has arms and he and he's really strong and and maybe he does but but this is what's called anthropomorphic language that is we apply things that are familiar to us uh, about our strength about arms or feet or hands or whatever that God has these things we use this as descriptive language for us to understand when we think about somebody being strong we can understand that idea and whoever the strongest person we know or can imagine God is infinitely stronger than anything we can possibly imagine you have a mighty arm your hand is powerful your right hand is lifted high righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne Faithful love and truth go before you. Isn't this, this beautiful? This, this, that, that, that these are the things that God is established on, that these are his foundation, his righteousness and his justice. Righteousness, he, he's morally right in everything that he does. He's not immoral in any way. He's good, he's perfect, he's right in everything he does. And that's the foundation of who he is. That is his righteousness and it's justice. He is just. That's a that's kind of a hard one for us sometimes to wrap our head around. We 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 understand grace and we love grace and grace is good and we want to give grace cuz God gives grace, but God is also just. God is a perfect judge. God knows that hey, there are some there are some things in which there is punishment that has to be given. It has to be given. There has to be punishment. There has to be a price that is paid even for our sins. The grace of God did not come free. God cannot give out grace unless justice is first served. And so justice is served when Jesus took the took the sins of you and I when he gave his life on a cross. And that's why grace is available to us today. There, There ultimately had to be some price that was going to be paid so that God's grace could abound. And praise the Lord, Jesus paid that price. And so God's foundation is built on righteousness and it's built on justice. And when he judges and when he brings judgment... He is right to do so. He's never wrong. He never does so flippantly. He's never sinful in bringing judgment. He is right in the judgment that he brings all throughout Scripture. Righteousness and judgment are the foundation of your throne. Faithful love and truth go before you. Faithful love and truth. These are other characteristics of God which are important. The love of God is the most beautiful and probably most hard to understand thing that there is, that God is full of so much love that he would love you and I, that he would love us enough to give his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That is a love that is beautiful, that hopefully we have all experienced, but it's a love that that on some level It's hard to fathom that God could love us in such a way, but yet this is who God is. He is faithful love, and he is truthful, and these things go before him. What God says is right. It is true. It is trustworthy in every way. Verse 15. Happy are the people who know the joyful shout, Yahweh. They walk in the light of your presence. So he's acknowledging here that, hey, look, he himself is writing this psalm and he's praising God. How can he praise God and shout for joy about the work of God? Because he has walked in the light. For those who have walked in the light, they have seen the goodness of God. They have experienced the goodness of God, the grace of God. And that should result in joy, in shouts of joy. Now, if we recognize that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and undeserving of the grace of God, and there is nothing we can do to earn it. But yet God gives us that through Jesus Christ. And in the moment that we realize how wretched we are, and that Jesus died for us, and that our sins are forgiven when we put our faith in him, that is reason to rejoice. If there's someone that says that they're a Christian, and they cannot rejoice in the grace of God, then they haven't walked in the light. He says, look, when you've walked in the light, this should result in some praise and some shouts of joy for those who trust in the Lord. Verse 16, they rejoice in your name all day long and they are exalted by your righteousness. Do we rejoice in the name of the Lord? Maybe we do. Maybe we do find ourselves throughout the day praising God and rejoicing in God. Perhaps we need to we need to look at our life and maybe there are some times in the day that that we find ourselves in a bad mood with a bad attitude doing or saying bad things acting in a bad way and maybe in those times we need to kind of shift our focus and say hey maybe maybe instead of acting this way maybe I need to rejoice in the Lord all day long he is worthy of our praise that's what the psalmist is 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 really showing us through this first half of the psalm that we've seen so far <clears throat> Verse 17, for you are their magnificent strength, but your favor, our horn, <clears throat> is exalted. Here we see this idea of God being strength. And whose strength is he? He's, he's our strength. He's the one who, who trusts in him. We have the strength of God, and praise God, we need it. Because, because even on our best days, even on our strongest days, we are pretty weak. And there are some days that we are so weak that we don't know that we'll be able to get through because of life circumstances, because of our struggles and our stresses and our fears and our worries. And these are things that are heavy for us, but they're not too heavy for God. He is a God who has magnificent strength, my translation says, and he is our strength. And it says here, uh, by your favor, our horn is exalted. Now, Horn here is, is representative of power. So, so by God's favor, our power is exalted. We have power through God and strength through God when we trust him and seek him. And closing in verse 18 here, Surely our shield belongs to the Lord, our King to the Holy One of Israel. The idea here of God being our shield or being our defense or being our deliverance. Different translations will say, say different things. But, but what a beautiful uh, imagery we see here. We understand the idea of a soldier going to battle and a soldier having a shield. That shield helps protect you from the arrows that may be coming or, or whatever may be coming. The, the swipes of the sword that may come from the enemy. But God is our shield. And it's important to to acknowledge God is our shield, which means, hey, there are times that we are under attack. We are under attack of temptation, or we are under attack of of other people, or we are under the attack of some sin in some way, or we are under the attack of of just the stresses of of of, of our life. But God is our shield. So so even though there there are those struggles that we go through, and God doesn't just just free us from all suffering and struggle when we come to him. But he does promise to be our shield. He does promise to go before us. The shield is in front of the soldier. The shield is in front of the one who is going to battle. And as the soldier marches on and continues on, it's the shield that offers protection. And so while there may be days that we just want to give up and retreat, sometimes we just got to stick our shield in the ground and say, no, I'm not, I'm not giving up. But God, I need you to I need you to strengthen me so that I can keep going, so that I can keep fighting the battle, so that I can keep doing your work, so that I will continue to seek you. And so we have this beautiful imagery of the strength and the power of God and the fact that God is our shield, our king to the Holy One of Israel. And so we see this idea of, of, of the king popping back up. We saw that at the beginning of the psalm. So we see through the first half of this psalm that the that the psalmist is really praising and glorifying God for who he is, for the promises that he has made, that he is keeping his promises, that he is above all, that he has created all, that he is stronger than all things, and that he uses his strength to help you and I, to be a shield for you and I. And I hope tonight that we are trusting in God and drawing from his strength and using him as our shield as we go through our daily life. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you. We thank you for these good words of this psalm, and I pray that you just would help us to find strength in you, dear Lord. There may be some that came here tonight, and and they just need it, dear Lord. Maybe it's been a rough day, a rough week, a rough a rough month, dear Lord, but I pray that you would help them to find strength in you, dear Lord, that you'd be our power, that we would know that you are our shield tonight, dear Lord, that you are in control of all things, that you do not forget about us. But God, I pray that we would trust in you and, and find strength in you to make it through these tough days that we may face and that we'd glorify you, that we'd praise you just as the psalmist does, dear Lord, for your goodness, that we would remember, God, that you are faithful and let us never forget that, that truth. And I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.